Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Good morning. I want you to look at uh, Matthew 3 with me. I want to take you all the way back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I'm going to ask a question, and I will not answer it on purpose. I ask it, I came to Christ when I was 18 years of age in a cheese factory in Kentucky. In a place where Kentucky records showed that my home county was 110% Baptist. And we wonder why the Asians are beating us at mathematics, but <clears throat> that's a probably a broader story. But um, my family was such, my wife and I are both PKs. She's a pastor's kid and I'm a pagan's kid. And that gives us uh, a heart for the nations. And it gives me knowing what it's like to be lost and having nobody look for me. You see... If you're not careful, you can spend three and four years here and we will teach you at a doctoral level how to be sheep among the sheep if you let us get away with it. But from the, I notice a change that happened here. I'm going to have to get on with the message really quickly, but I notice a tremendous change happened here when every classroom at Southeastern was declared a great commission classroom. And what that means is you don't get away with that anymore. You, you, don't, you don't get a pass. There, there's no excuse for you from us as missionaries, professors, down to the newest students. What Jesus said was very clearly, you ask him, <clears throat> Jesus, why did you come? He said, I came to seek and save those who are lost. If you ask him, well, Jesus, how are, are you going to do this? He said, I'm going to do it by... Um, sending the sheep among the wolves. The longer that you are in Christianity, the more likely you will be a sheep among sheep. And this morning, I, I want to remind you about what it means to be a sheep among the wolves. And, and the greater the fight, the richer the victory. And so I want you to look at Matthew 3 and the question that I never could get anybody to answer was, why was Jesus baptized? I became a Christian two weeks later. I'm in a Baptist college taking Baptist history. I didn't even know you all had a history. And, uh, and in that, <clears throat> I'm, I'm introduced to all the things that we fight about concerning baptism. Whether, you know, are we to put them under the water or, uh, until the bubbles stop coming up or do we uh, throw the water at them or do we pour it over you? And, and, and I, I got introduced to all the theologies of baptism and all the way that we divide over it and asking the question, why was Jesus baptized? No one would attempt to answer because he never fit any of those theologies. And here, if you uh, <clears throat> look in John 3, it talks about who John the Baptist was and, 
And of course, uh, you would have loved to have him in your house after Sunday morning sermon, uh, <clears throat> voice calling in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, make straight the path for him. And his clothes were made out of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food, his food was what? <clears throat> Locusts and honey. Well, I'll let you know, you can eat a rock if you put honey around it. But people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing them sins and they were baptized in the Jordan River. I mean, another question to ask yourself is if, if you were scheduling the baptism of Jesus, who do you think he should go to to be baptized and where do you think he should go uh, to be baptized? And if we ask you where he should not go, if we ask the religious establishment and who should not baptize him, exactly what he did was exactly what we would have advised him not to do. And it says toward the end of John 3, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter, deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? And Jesus said, hey, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Uh, then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting to him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. My wife and I are, <clears throat> and I'm going to inflict this on you. My, my wife and I now have been overseas about 32 years, uh, getting close to 33 years. And the older you get, the more likely, you know, you become like your grandfather and you won't sit and tell your story to everybody and remind them what it was like in the good old days. And, and I remember uh, preaching in Malawi for the first time and my wife and I, and we've got this <clears throat> uh, three and a half year old and we got this five and a half year old and they're as white as they can be and they've got this really gorgeous blonde hair. It's not hard to pick them out in a crowd in Africa. And, um, and, and we're, they're all sitting on the, on the, on the ground uh, uh, in these small huts and they've built a little platform and a little pulpit for me to, uh, uh, to speak from. And, and I got really concerned because in the first few messages that we would do in Chichewa, as, as I got into the message, first one man would get up off the ground and come up here and, and stand right beside of me. And, and, and then pretty soon another man would get up and off the ground and come up here and stand the other side of me. And they've got their arms, you know, like this and are sort of flexing. And, and you're wondering, uh, I wonder how, uh, if this is going to end very well, and maybe this would be a good time to ask my wife to come up and give a testimony. And, and, <clears throat> and, uh, and, 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 and you've got 35 maybe people sitting on the ground in front of you, and by the end of the hour, two-hour message, that's a warning to you, truthful one, uh, they would, uh, there, maybe out of the 35 people, 25 of them now are surrounding you, and you don't know what's going to happen, but you do know being as trained as I was at that time through how Baptists did the functions of the church, 
no matter what had gone on in the previous part of that two-hour message, that when we gave the invitation, it, well, I knew what I had to do. I had to make all of these people go and sit down so we could give the invitation so they could come back up again. <laughs> and later on, what we found when we talked to the uh, workers that had been there a long time is, is what would happen is if, if you're preaching and, and, and the people sitting there at your feet, literally, if you are saying what they would say if they had the opportunity, if you are saying what they would agree with, uh, 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 they, they, their spirits are saying, yes, this is from God, then their way of saying hallelujah, or saying amen is they just come up there and stand with you the whole time on the platform as a way to say, I agree with what this guy is saying. And, I, and if I was allowed to speak, this is what I would say today. Now, I know giving that illustration, given the president of this institution is probably dangerous, but if you want to come up later on, you just come on. Uh, <clears throat> and, and I know some of you all, and we've got some uh, former missionaries and missionary kids here. And, and, and that illustration is a little bit dangerous because well, if you want to come, just come on later on. But I'm, I'm not going to give you the platform. You're just going to have to stand here. All right. And, 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 and I'm remembering these things. You see, there's two types of sermons that you give or messages that you give. One is uh, you, you speak for the body of Christ. And, and, and as uh, going along with that illustration, you, you, you're speaking, this, this, is, this is what we would say corporately if we all could speak. And, and there's another kind of message that you give, and that is when you speak to the audience, to the people of God sitting before you. Uh, usually it's not lost people that come to church. You speak to the, the body of Christ because there's something to be adjusted. There's something that needs to be understood at a deeper level. There's a fight to be had that's different than the superficial fights perhaps that's been going on for generations. And you'll have to decide in a few minutes which one uh, this was. I, I, I remember going with that five-year-old and three-year-old and Aunt Ruth to the first baptism. It was during the rainy season. Uh, it's very important to do it during the rainy season. If you're a Baptist, you'll find out in a minute. And, and the rivers are flooded, and, and we get to the place of baptism, and quickly the pastor sends two deacons downriver and two deacons upriver. And I ask them, why have you done this? What are you doing? He says, well, the water's running really, really fast, and, and sometimes uh, I just let go of people. <laughs> not, well, <clears throat> Not on purpose. That's not how he tells you who he likes and doesn't like. But you'll, you'll see it's different with the deacons. And he says, I'll send some deacons down, downstream so if somebody washes away, uh, when, the, when they are washed around the little bend down here, they have a good chance of catching them. And, and I said, and, 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 the, and the two guys upstream, he said, well, there's a lot of crocodiles here. <laughs> and, and, and they're to keep the crocodiles from uh, interrupting the baptismal service. I do think that is an indication of the deacons that he likes <laughs> and the deacons that he would not mind replacing. And, 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 uh, and, and I remember trying to do a Baptist uh, baptism at, uh, during the dry season. You can't find a place without, you know, maybe this much water. How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you get them under? And, and, and we would dam up the little creek or what's left of a river and, 
and you, you, a lot of times we're baptizing 150 people and, and by the time, you know, you're getting in the, even in the 40s and 50s, that's more mud than water and you're having to roll them over so you can get both sides, you know, uh, <laughs> under, un, underneath uh, that stuff. And, and, and as they're walking home, people can see them and say, oh, you were baptized today. <laughs> you can tell they got caked all over and, and, uh, and you can tell the Baptists from the you know, from the Methodists, because the Methodists are sort of spotted with a, with a mud. <clears throat> and, 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 but, but one of the things I want you to begin to sense is just how creative, how biblical, how wonderful the, the functions, I don't know what else to, uh, the, uh, of, the, of the church, how they are practiced around the world. Uh, I, 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 I just want you to hear the Chinese breaking the bread in the underground house churches and, and pouring out the cup and then looking at everybody there and 40% of those congregations that have already been in prison for three years for their faith and saying to them as they pour out the cup and break the bread, now let us go and suffer with Jesus let us go and die as Christ has died. And they always bring those functions out of the past tense into the present active tense. One of the biggest lies we've ever listened from Satan that we have believed is that the Bible's an old book. It, 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 it's, it's a book that has inerrantly captured what God used to do with the implications being that God's not doing this stuff anymore. And Ruth and I are here to testify with both arms, both hands, both legs, if it needed raised and saying that everything that God has ever done in scripture, God is still doing. He hasn't stopped doing one single thing. He's the God of history and he's God in present active tense. You, you go to the Soviet Union, you go, you go to Islam. The only way you can be married in Muslim countries is uh, uh, by an imam with a woman in one house or one room and a man in another room with the Quran uh, 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 chanted over you, you cannot get married except in an Islamic culture. So what happens in, in an Islamic form uh, of, of, uh, under the Quranic uh, authority? So what do you do when you become a believer? What do you do when you have the first man and woman get married? What do you do when the first families are being formed? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do when, when baptism is the point of no return? And where, when Muslims come to Christ and are baptized, that that's when persecution goes out the ceiling because Islam says they're no longer of us. They have left us. They have left uh, our holy word. They've gone from our religion and they belong to another people, another body, another faith. Guess what? Islam's right. In the Soviet Union, you could only get married in a, in a communist, uh, sort of like a county clerk's office. And so what do you do? What do you do when you want to be married when there's no way to be married legally just in the body of Christ. There is no cooperation with any earthly 
authority. There's, it's not possible. And I was uh, in a church as we were sitting, in, uh, sitting at the feet of believers in persecution in the Soviet Union, just learning from them and, and hearing their uh, biblical-like stories. And it's like sitting at the feet of, 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 of John and Simon Peter and Ezekiel and, and David and, and those three Hebrew young men before they're thrown into the furnace. And you're learning once again the stories of the Bible uh, in present active tense. And I'm sitting in a worship service, and, and again, uh, two or three hours into it, and I can sort of tell it's coming to the end. And all of a sudden, trumpets sound and drums roll. And, and, and what I was to learn, there was a young couple in the church married, and they went to the county clerk's office on Friday afternoon before it closed, and they took out the legal forms of marriage, and, and they agreed with whatever it was that that communist guy read. And then that man on Friday night and Saturday night went home to his mama. And that woman on that Friday night and Saturday night went home to her mama. And on Sunday morning, as part of the worship, as part of the worship service, the trumpets sound and the drums row and the back doors of the church are flung open and down the aisles of the church streams singing praises to God, the family of the bride and the family of the groom. And they come to the front of the church and as part of the worship service on that Sunday, they are married before God and they don't go and become husband and wife physically or spiritually until they are bonded by the body of Christ. Yeah, I think that's doing amen. If I told that story to the assemblies of God, they'd be clapping right now. But don't you, I don't want that to make you clap. You clap spontaneously after the next example. <clears throat> I heard a four-year-old laugh just then, and that really blessed my heart. There's candy in my bag down here, Aunt Ruth, so make sure that kid gets some more candy. <clears throat> but... It's almost like we treat the functions, those times when we get to intersect, where the body of Christ comes together and, and we get to do the things that change the directions of our lives. And the longer that the church is in freedom, the more those functions become secular, and the longer that the body of Christ is in persecution, the more they capture their biblical meaning and their biblical creativity. When we went in Somalia, if you haven't read the insanity of God, there were 150 believers from Muslim background. By the time we left, eight years later, only four were left alive. They hunted believers down like animals. On one day, they hunted down four of my best friends who were Somalis, who had come to believe in Christ, and in 45 minutes put a gun to their head, blew their brains out. One of the things we failed to be creative in is from 1988 until 2013. Have you got that? How many years that is? From 1988, from 1988 to 2013, every Somali believer, every Somali man and woman that was killed or died of a natural cause 
In all of those years, their bodies were taken by Muslims, buried somewhere secretly, where we still today don't know where they are, and then basically dared us to have a funeral and have a way of telling our children's children's children the story of that martyr when we no longer have a place to go where that body is buried. How do you creatively tell that person's story? And how do you tell that story to your children's children's children when you have no place to take them to tell that person's story? We were burying 20 children a day. I was there for six months before I'd ever met a woman that had not been molested multiple times. It's like ISIS today. ISIS is not, a, to me, a type of Islam. ISIS is Satan with the mask taken off, no longer hiding behind a postmodern or democratic world or hiding behind an Islamic mask or a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Chinese mask. It's when Satan doesn't care. He's got so much control. The mask comes off and you get to see evil unmasked. And, and, and being trained <clears throat> to be a shepherd for sheep uh, I, I went in there. You know, I don't mind being a sheep among wolves. What I do mind is being a stupid sheep among the wolves. And I remember often asking myself, what class did I miss in seminary that was to prepare me for this moment? Where did, what Sunday school did I sleep through? What sermon did I not preach or hear that would prepare me to be a sheep among the wolves. And, and in that time, my wife's getting nervous because I got a 30-minute story and I got 10 minutes to go, but I don't worry. <clears throat> I don't have a class after this. <clears throat> and the first time getting to preach in chapel was my fault. Once Dr. Aiken asked me back multiple times, now it's his fault. But uh, I came out and Michael called me. Michael had been kicked out of Somalia. He was there for about 15 years before we ever showed up. And uh, he said, uh, Nick, I, I don't know how it's happened, but there's a secret meeting in rural Kenya of the leaders of the world. These are bishops and elders of, of, of international type settings. The, these, are, uh, these are Christian leaders from places like Pakistan, in the Soviet Union, they're in all uh, types of churches and denominations, and these are the men who have been trying to bring Muslims to Jesus before you were even born. And, and this is a secret meeting but funded by a Western organization. That's an important piece in the story. And, and, and now there's going to be about 15 of these guys are coming, and they're meeting uh, in, in a very small town in Kenya. And for some reason, he says, I don't know how they got my name. I don't know how they got your name. But as long as we're quiet and we just sit in the room and listen, they're going to allow us to come and sit in this meeting. And no Westerner has ever been allowed to be in this secret meeting. And so I go there, and, and, and it's like uh, I'm a dandelion weed uh, in, in a forest of ancient trees, and, and I'm listening to these men and, and the prices that they've paid and the prices that their children have 
paid and the prices their churches have paid to bring Christ uh, to Muslims and, and, and sitting on my right was a pastor evangelist from Iran and sitting on my left was his best friend, another pastor evangelist from Iran and there were Egyptians and Pakistanis and others there. A guy, PhD in Islamic studies uh, asked to read the Bible to find Muhammad in the Bible and, and reading in the Quran where it says that Isa Messiah, Jesus the Messiah is the word of God and finding that in the first book of, in the first chapter of John just radically turned his life around and this is a man who has not only memorized the, the Quran, he's memorized the Hadith and, and the stories surrounding Muhammad and listening to these giants, they asked this brother to give a testimony for about 10 and 15 minutes. You don't ever ask uh, somebody that's from the Assemblies of God to give a testimony for 10 or 15 minutes. You've got to put some zeros on the end of that, you know, 100 to 150. But he got to testifying, he got to telling a chapter and verse of what the secret police were doing to his church and believers in Iran. And he got to being so specific that the Egyptian on the other side and the Iranian sitting next to me is pulling at the, at, at, at the hem of his long shirt saying, be quiet, you're saying too much. And he's slapping their hands away and he says, I'm finally among the people of God and I've got to tell what I've got to tell. And he went on for two hours and at the head of the table was the man from the American organization and the guy who had paid for all of us to be there. And, and it's a, almost $100,000 to fly people in and to fly them back. And, and, and he had not vetted that donor who had come to him. And that donor was a Judas. And he's taking notes and names and stories. At the end of that week of life-changing learning for me, these brothers go back to where they've been for generations. And this brother goes back to Iran. I'm in Somalia two weeks after this meeting. Ruth calls me on the shortwave radio and says, uh, Pastor, uh, Heck has uh, disappeared. They're afraid that he's been taken by the security police, but they don't know he's just gone. So I stay in Somalia for two more weeks. I come out. And uh, now what I've got to do is take you about six months later. All we found out was this. I, I'm with this pastor now in England at another meeting. And he says, I've got to tell you what happened to us after we left you in Kenya. And said, so we were back there for two weeks and, and, and uh, Pastor uh, Hake disappears. And he says he's gone for two weeks and we don't know where he is. And of course, his wife and his children and the church is frantic. And he says, Nick, two weeks after Pastor Hake has disappeared, I'm in my church. And I'm standing in the baptistry. And up the aisles of the church, is 35 plus Muslim men and women, all adults, who have recently given their lives to Christ and now they're ready to be baptized. This is a big deal, a big deal. And he says, as I'm sort of giving a, 
a message, a devotional, a sermon. My wife answers my cell phone. And while I'm in the baptistry, she hands me uh, my phone, and I listen to it. He said to me, and then weeping, he gave it back to his wife, and he looked at the Muslims lined up in the aisles of the church and said, Pastor Hake is dead. A Muslim whom we have done some good things for his family has called and told us where he had been buried uh, secretly. And some other believers have dug him up. He's been terribly uh, disfigured and tortured before he was killed. But we need you to know that Pastor Hake is dead. And he looked at those 35-plus Muslim men and women awaiting baptism by immersion. And he said, the pastor that baptized you, the pa- no, the pastor that witnessed to you and who uh, gave you his life to the extent that you could come to Christ, the pastor evangelist who led you to Christ has been murdered for his faith. He's dead. Now, I've got one more question to ask you. Are you ready to be buried with him in baptism and raised to newness of life? Are you ready, like Pastor Hike, to be buried and to be dead to yourself and to be raised and you only live for Jesus? Are you to be buried as a sheep among the sheep and be raised to give your life as he has for the wolves? Are you ready to be baptized? I I would like for our worship team to come make their way up here, if you would. You see, for years after I started doing this stuff in my Baptist college, and I was given all of the reasons why uh, we put them under the water or throw the water at them or put the water over them, and whether it's a sign or a symbol or a sacrament, <clears throat> I, I think maybe we were missing the point. Because what our brothers and sisters in, in reality, in essence, have done, they sent Ruth and I to you today to say to you, you know what baptism is about? Really? At the foundation for me, baptism is about two things. And I'm using baptism to illustrate everything else that God's trying to teach us in his word. I haven't just picked it out as a favorite. Baptism today determines two things. Who you will die for. And secondly, who you will die with. That's the head of the church, Jesus himself, and the body, the bride of Christ. To be in Christ determines who you will die for and whom you will die with. Stand with me.
Father, today, today, I ask you that in this beautiful, wonderful setting that we are, where we can freely talk about the kingdom of God and in a lot of ways live out the kingdom of God with very little pressure, that we will learn from our brothers and sisters in persecution who remind us of the very essence of the stories of the Bible, of being broken and poured out for Jesus in present active tense, for being buried with him today. And today in our own souls have the stone rolled away and be resurrected in the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, help us today, this very moment, to commit ourselves, that we will prepare ourselves as we sit in places like this, as we are sheep with the sheep. But we do so for one reason and one reason only, so that we can walk out this door and we can be among the wolves and in Jesus' name, see them transformed and they also buried and dead to themselves, buried in Christ and raised to newness of life. Father, today, teach us who it is that we die for and show us who it is that we walk with and die with. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.